Dun, 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 dun. Boom, boom. Hey everyone, welcome back to season four, The Wicked Years. I'm Tara. And I'm MK. And we are your hosts of Down the Yellow Brick Pod, a Technicolor Pod Squad community devoted to preserving and peeling back the curtain on the wonderful world of Oz. This season, though, we have developed an allergy for water, but definitely not one for high broom belting because we are deep diving with Gregory Maguire's 1995 revisionist exploration, unveiling a corrupt land of Oz in Wicked, the life and times of the Wicked Witch of the West, including the subsequent series to follow, and of course... The 2003 blockbuster Broadway musical of the same name, currently being adapted into a two-part film for release in November 2024. Do you know about it? Consider this your green girl prerequisite course to soothe the long, long waits. Off the pod, feel free to follow our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for a visual companion, as well as our Patreon pod squad, where we continue the escapism and entertainment with a range of bonus content, including exclusive episodes, musical covers, monthly hangs, and behind-the-scenes vlogs. As a community-funded podcast, our patrons are truly our backbone, our people, so consider joining our rainbow of a pod squad today. More perks and live events coming soon. Patrons are the first to know. Now, may the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals living in New York City can defy gravity with wonders like you. Ain't no one gonna bring us down, baby. Hey, MK. (laughs) Hey, Tara. Day of school, baby. I know. I feel like I need a new notebook and a whole new Lisa Frank folder. I need to raid Etsy shop of all the wicked things. <laughs> I, need- I planned my outfit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hi, baby. Hello. Hi. Hi. Where are you right now? I am in New York City. Uh-huh. Specifically, I'm in a studio called New York City Guitar School, which is also the place of my employment. And she might get bumped out at any moment. At any moment. Another teacher, because this is not a work-sanctioned event that I am partaking in at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) So if a teacher walks in and says, hey, what are you doing? I've said we have much worse. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We really have. So that could happen. But I am staring at Madison Square Garden out of my window, which feels appropriate. That's like the highlight of being at this school. I'm staring at a fish mural. That's gorgeous. In downtown Little Rock, baby. Yeah, where are you at, girl? <laughs> I am in Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> in a loft apartment all on my oh, own. A loft? I have my own laundry. <laughs> Stop. Don't you dare brag about such a thing. These are the things that keep us going. I have a little flower in my window. And her name is Winnie, and she's orange. Winnie, hocus pocus. (laughs) Here we are, hocus pocus, wicked. Here we are, hocus pocus, wicked. Also, I'm grateful I learned from you that the nickname for, or like the little two-letter abbreviation for Arkansas, is not AK. It's not AK. 
I kept I kept texting Tara like AK baby. She was like, I don't know what state that is. Baby, it's it's AR baby. It's AR. It feels like it would be Ark. Like I know. I think I think that's Alaska. Maybe. This state is trifling in many ways. We don't need to get into it, and that Ooh. might. <laughs> Ooh, it's trifling. Trifling in many ways, but anywho. Yeah, I have a question for you. Okay, hit me with your best shot. No, it's not a late question. Hitting <laughs> deep right away. Okay, this is the question that was marinating in Greg, our good friend. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> We knew it would happen. We're obsessed with saying our good friend Greg, like Greg. Um, Tanya from White Lotus for one said author, Gregory Maguire. But this we was promise we won't say it again. Not no, we will say it again. The <laughs> this is the question <laughs> that was ruminating in his brain that yeah. spawned the creation of Wicked. What is the nature of evil? MK. How would you <laughs> even attempt to answer? this question on an ordinary Friday in the New York just, bar school. Just a day, just an ordinary Friday. Contemplate, contemplating the nature of evil. What is the nature of evil? evil. Oh man. Okay. Um, I'll just go what comes straight to my brain. That's all I want. Scared. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. The nature of evil <laughs> feels so serious. <laughs> evil. <laughs> the nature of evil. Philosophy class. Like um, love is blind and trying to answer this question. Stop it. I am. I will say I dove into Love is Blind season four. Oh, don't tell. What? They're horrible people. They're horrible. Maybe they are the definition of evil. <gasps> I don't think all of them are horrible, MK. There's a couple that are real bad eggs, I gotta say. Irina, we're just gonna out them. Irina. I'm outing her right now. She's a horrible person. I know. She's the nature of evil. She is. That's my answer. She is the nature of evil. Okay. What okay. is the. <laughs> we're doing great. What is the nature of evil? This is so hard because. Yeah, it is really hard. I don't, I don't really know what's going to come out of my mouth. Yeah. Because it means that you ascribe to a thought that there is good and there is evil. You subscribe to binaries that put people, yeah, in two very distinct categories. One being approved societally and the other being unacceptable and harmful and malicious, disruptive, whatever it might be. When I think of the word evil, I think of like spiritual things you know probably from yeah like my you're a sinner. yeah like you're evil you're a sinner like sex is bad like you demons uh ouija boards like that's evil you know that's evil which i don't believe um but i like what you said like it's a very binary thought that okay if you're evil you are condemned forever like you're going to hell. There's no returning. There's no coming back. There's no redemption. And I also feel like <clears throat> when people call someone else evil, there's a little bit of like blame. Like, oh, you are bad because you did something. Which I think is a big topic that Wicked is addressing of like, you know, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Are people born wicked or do they have it cast upon them or thrust upon them, whatever it is. Okay, Kristen Chenoweth, okay. <laughs> okay, I know. I know the quotes from the musical, just so you guys know. Um, 
so yeah, I think I, that, that's what I'll go with is like, it's a very binary thought. And I didn't know that I would say that like, oh, I guess you have to believe that there's an opposite to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm already thinking about, there's a quote that struck me and we're going to get into this in a little bit at the top of the book that like also deals with like being wary of goodness. Like, and I'm like, yeah, cause what is goodness masking? Mm. Why is someone being good? Is it for gain? Cause you can mm-hmm. do good things just for gain. I mean, we see that a lot in our um, aesthetic pleasing time now with, you know, a lot of, um, especially with activism being people virtue signaling, yeah, virtual signaling, like virtue signaling, like a lot of, I don't know, just like, it looks like someone's doing something, but are they really like invested yeah. in it? Why? So yeah, like it, that is, that is going to be, I think an interesting thing to dip and dabble in. Um, we're in the gray baby, I think with this, which is going to be fun. Ooh. How I would answer this, what is the nature of evil? And like, just looking at the definition of evil, profoundly immoral and wicked. Um, profoundly. profoundly, what makes something profoundly immoral and wicked um, I think I'm going to say something crazy. God, Do it. here we go. I think there is pleasure in making others feel awful. Right. Mm. And I think if pleasure. you that pleasure, that is at the expense of others rather than satisfying others with you. I think I like, again, like sometimes I think you can get boil things down to two types of way of seeing the world. There are people I think who genuinely like just want to be on the same page with other people, be in enjoyment with other people. And there are people who really get off from other people being hurt. Mm-hmm. We, we all have a little bit of this in us, you know, like, I'm not going to lie, like seeing, like, I don't know, like, maybe a show that you wanted to book or something and <laughs> bad reviews or something. And you're like, oh, yes. I'm, I, you know, whatever it might be like, there's something, I think there's pleasure involved in evil. Um, because I think there's a power intoxication with evil. Oh, you're and- actually reminding me. This is like, it haunts me to this day. My friend Kelly, <laughs> Tara's eyes just got so wide. <laughs> she's like, what are you about to confess? Um, my friend Kelly and I, who, you know, she's like my sister. We've been friends since we were like two. Uh, we, one, of our, one of our hobbies. Are you listening, Kelly? I was like, I don't think she. Kelly? Oh, absolutely not. No, <laughs> she does. This is way too big of a project. Um, maybe one day. Um as kids, we would love to go out into her backyard and there were snails everywhere and we would take salt shakers. You and- sure this before him. And did I? I'm very guilty about it. I carry it around. I need to be um, <laughs> I understand solved of my guilt. But I remember, yeah, you pour the salt and how it reacts is they bubble and they foam and it's like, I mean, aside from you're literally watching a creature die, like it's a very interesting thing to watch because it's like a chemical reaction. 
Um, but I just remember us, I remember like feeling bad about it in the moment, but it was also like, there was a pleasure. It was like a fun activity that we did. We were literally murdering snails, but I also loved snails and I like collected them and kept them in this little like snail (laughs) aquarium thing. So what, what is that? Snail murderer. (laughs) I'm a snail murderer. I stomped on the ants like home (laughs) in my backyard. (laughs) It's the same thing. You get pleasure out of causing, and it's a power thing. It's like you are the nat you are the natural disaster to these. You know what I mean? Like you, like ha ha ha. Yeah. Yes. And yes. Like our, if we consider nature our true mama, like Mother Nature, she yeah. caused a lot of havoc. So, like, why can't we? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She says, "Hey, Arkansas, you want a tornado? Okay." <laughs> Guys, I was Dorothy recently. Very much. There Dorothy. literally was in a tornado. I was scared. I was scared too, but that's the thing. Like. What we are born from of this earth, this this earth has, you know, unpredictable evil. Like natural disasters are considered evil, you know? Yeah. Right. But I think of, I'm actually thinking a lot of our time in NBC's Emerald City for our folks <laughs> our Patreon feed. We did a whole deep dive with that. And so in this series, there is this like beast forever looming. Um, and some people believe it needs to come to like kind of purify the world and rid the world's like of excess, right? Like kind of how we have, we have, um, you know, we had a pandemic recently, like we have Mm -hmm. natural things that happen that kind of, you know, take away parts of our population, replenish the earth in certain cases when it comes to like storms that happen. It's so fascinating. So I think it's interesting that I think there's just so many different interpretations and thoughts one can have on this, but I do think we shouldn't fear evil. I think we need to treat it a little bit more as like a natural tendency. We all have in us. We all Mm -hmm. want to do bad things, right? Like I can want to key somebody's car who is a freaking dirt bag to me. Like (laughs) Carrie Underwood. I mean, I dug my keys into the side. (laughs) You could do it, but like we all, have, why not? we all have it in us. That's an interesting thought. I like this. I'm excited to go on this journey because as of now, I'm sure we'll get into it. Like when I think of the word evil, I feel more fearful. Yeah, of course. And in, and we're going to get into some of the evil that inspired this book. That is our, that is yeah. where we're for today. But how about you join us in the episode, everyone? We will see you soon. listeners we are getting ready to dive in I can't believe we're back it feels like it feels I, know. Um, I was just gonna say that I like almost wanted to just interrupt you and be like we're back <laughs> we are back baby it's been a minute it's I feel wild. absolutely chaotic AF right now like of the course. most chaotic ever but like in such a good way like this morning having 85 tabs opened on my computer like <laughs> 
I know. I know. That's when I feel back. I like had my coffee. I had my my computer out with all the tabs. You resist it at first. Like I resist the deep dive at first because I know I'm going to be like, it's like I'm adding more onto my already chaotic. I'm like adding more. And it's like stuff like, you know, I'm like, oh God, why am I now knowing about this thing that I didn't (laughs) Oh yeah. It's, it's, you know, the second, I think we know ourselves now, like I love researching. I love the rabbit hole. So, you know, it's hard to pry yourself away from it too. So once you start, everything else sort of fades away. Everything else fades away. What's that from? What are you just saying? Uh, is that next to normal? I don't Everything know. Everything else goes away. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> this is season four. We are so much more chill and relaxed. Than- <laughs> Which is, I know. I can't believe it. And we, we should maybe check ourselves. <laughs> I know. We're both just like, la, la, la. <laughs> I think recordings in like makeup today, I haven't even brushed my teeth. So <laughs> I support you. I support you fully. I think there, I will be real. Like I'm nervous. I, I think that's why I also hesitated because I was like, oh dang, I'm a little intimidated. Not we're, that not, I, we're not like, we don't know this book yet. Like we're, and we know there. I read it like 15 books. years ago. <laughs> like, I think that's always a little bit of like a fear of like, we are going to lead something that we are learning as we go. Exactly. And there's something. So, yeah. I feel like we like to keep it. We like to keep it real. We like to keep it yeah. a buck. As the kids say. Wait, what? Keep talking. it a book. That's what all the kids yesterday at my talk back. I did a show yesterday with a bunch of teenagers. It was amazing. They're all like, you're iconic. You're iconic, baby. Oh, my God. Yes, thank you so much. Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> I literally said I felt like Olivia Rodrigo yesterday. You were. You were. Well, Greg, you Styles. My ass Lauren. Little shop. Little shop. I am obsessed. Keep it a buck. Well, that's what we're here to do, is to keep it a buck. And I appreciate our amazing listeners, you know, you know, keeping it real, keeping it honest. Keeping it back. Um, So thanks, y'all, for being on this journey with us. So today we're obviously diving into the sort of like we call it the pre-production before we really actually start breaking down Wicked, the life and times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory McGuire. Greg. So that's where we're heading first is we're getting into book number one. Yeah. And we're really taking our time with this baby. Yes. This is going to be a big chunk. Yeah. Uh, pretty much through the spring, I believe. Yeah. This is, we're going to go a little bit like how we approached the wonderful Wizard of Oz back in season one. Yes. And this is a like dense book. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It so. took me about an hour to read 10 pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this word? I don't, I've never heard yeah, His word. vocabulary is giving me SAT chills. SAT. <laughs> I have chills. They're multiplying. Okay. <laughs> so then after book one, we dive into God knows, the musical Broadway. <laughs> reading because we'll be we'll be exhausted <laughs> <laughs> i know it's gonna be insane hot girl summer wicked musical summer that's hot what we're doing <laughs> green girl summer green girl summer hashtag green girl summer okay we're gonna have lots of special guests i'm gonna ask this now okay 
Am I the Glinda to your alphabet or are you the alphabet to my Glinda? This Slap. is the heart though. Am I the Dr. Dillamond to your alphabet? <laughs> You're definitely the Dr. Dillamond to my alphabet. Yes. Well, Tara and I had a whole text convo where I forget how it came up, but. Oh, this we is like, a lot about us. I know. We quote, like you quoted something with rent. Well, and on the T actually, MK, okay. <laughs> wait, wait, what? You said you sent a text saying you're holding another girl's hand, and I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to reveal that, but yes, <laughs> that I got jealous. Okay, I literally I have a jealous streak. Always be women in rubber flirting. With me. <laughs> you did. You said that. One I did. I said. Another alphabet. I said, excuse me, does this make me the Joanne to your Maureen? I didn't know that was our roles. And I, I had a moment. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm the Maureen? I was are like, you the Maureen? I don't know. I think so. I, I think you are. confirmed that you are the Joanne to my Maureen. Wow. I'm in no relationship am I the Joanne. <laughs> look before you eat. <laughs> I look, I love margins. Okay. I love discipline. I watched one thing you know about me. I watched Girls recently, which was a time that yes. I will never repeat ever again in my life. Don't but do it. There is an amazing moment where Hannah and Marnie sing Take Me or Leave Me, but like Hannah does not. Yes. Like <laughs> and Marnie's best life as Maureen. It's amazing. That would be us. No. I remember that episode. We would never sing that song in public. Only to ourselves in private. Ourselves in our room. Um, <laughs> Well, so we'd sing that epic solo from Newsies after. <laughs> we spend a lot of our time doing that. Okay. Um, well, anyway, first rabbit hole. Um, um, what do you think? Well, so if you look on our Instagram, there's this amazing graphic that blew my breath away. I didn't give any anything for this graphic, just so you know. Okay, I was curious. I didn't say like make me. Uh, she surprised. Oh, wow. <gasps> So then that's what she thinks. So our designer, Maddie Frank, made this graphic. Go check out our Insta. Not trying to plug, but it's honestly, I'll plug her. She's an amazing artist. And I don't even know how she did this. I don't know how she did it either. It's like our faces looking super fierce off in the distance, like in a cartoon form-esque artsy way. And I am pink and you are green. Mm -hmm. So I... This is a hard question. So that design has me as Alpha Bunny as Glenda. I really yes. oh, I feel like if we were to actually do the musical, I would want to be the Glenda to your Alphaba. But I think uh, if it, we were to do it, yeah. I'm not a soprano in any. I mean, dear God, I you would be great. I don't oh know. I don't. I don't know. I think there is a Glinda that I could channel, but it's like we are stretching. We are stretching ourselves. We could change keys. Not that you don't need to change them. Miss Tagliaferro, Madame Horrible, we are touching ourselves. You are Madame Horrible. You are the Madame Horrible to my Dr. Dillman. Not yet. She's going to grow into that. But um, She's growing. <laughs> but um, I think in life I might be more alphabet. I kind of think in our friendship, like the essence of like their vibe. Not like, really. To ruin your day with some bad news. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, this is really disturbing me. Could you look at it, this with me? And you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I love 
love it. Let's do it. And you're yeah, so like sweet. I think our friendship is summed up with our nails painting story. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like I feel like that's what Elphaba would do. Glinda would be like, Elfie, I'm running out of time. Will you paint my nails? Like I can't do the left hand. And then Elfie would be like, Okay, sure, I'll try. And then it would fail miserably. I'm doing my best, honey. <laughs> You're unhinged. So yeah, I do think there's an element of you are Elphaba, I'm Glinda in our life. Okay. Okay. So interesting. And you're taller. You're taller. So I am taller. It all boils down to that. Your like head fits onto my body where a Glinda's head would fit onto my body. Exactly. We would look off into the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Get back to what we're doing with our lives. Oh, yes, I yes, this is where we're going. So we're going to do the musical. Special guests, all that stuff. Yeah, so many special guests. And then we will deep dive in. We'll, we'll, we'll like shallow dive, Lady Gaga shallow, into um, books two through four, right? Of and there's the like further a Oz series. Yeah, and he's also written like some even off-roady Oz pieces yes. that are somewhat disconnected from the Wicked Ears. So we'll be yeah. going... Basically, Gregory Maguire is our L. Frank Baum right now. Like what we yeah. done with L. Frank Baum, we're treating his Oz work as its own magical, scary canon. <laughs> so scary. Yeah, it is like this is an Oz that I'm like, ooh, I'm I'm so excited. Yeah, there's a lot to peel back. I um, I also have to say I started listening to this via audiobook, and yeah. I really can't believe that I really dislike the audio version so much that like I was not liking it. I was really not liking the book by, I'm so sorry. I'm going to out him. Out? Yeah. I was going to say, who's the voice. And I don't think anyone has redone this book and I hope they redo it for the film. With Joel Gray. It's not Joel Gray. Hold on. <laughs> no, Joel Gray should re-record it. That'd be right. curious. Narrated by John McDonough. It's really boring. It's really boring and I don't like it. Okay. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm actually really enjoying reading it. So that was a pleasant flip flop for me because I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel. I know. You were very nervous. I was actually really intimidated and scared. Of course. I think you need to be able to sit down, reread some sentences, highlight, underline all that. Like I'm treating this almost like I'm in school and I'm reading this and I have to do a report, which I guess is what I'm doing. It's also like my yearbook. Like I'm like writing notes in it. Like, yeah, it's fun. LOL. So beyond the canon of Gregory Gregory Maguire, we're sort of leaving the end of our season to slipperhood interviews, like just pickups. I mean, there's so many great people we want to talk to. Yes. So I feel like there is a lot of material to cover. However, it feels a little bit more like I feel like seasons two and three, it was a plethora of things that we were looking at, like different properties. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is like, here's a slice of Oz that is all pretty much like going to the same source material. Yes. And I mean, like the timing is also pretty insane. We'll be concluding our Wicked season on the 20th anniversary of the show, which is pretty exciting. Also, it just got named the fourth longest um, 
running Broadway musical musical history, which is exciting. So it's a cool time. And of course, we'll be a year out from the films released, which I can't wait for slash. I still it's already gotten bumped up. I, I know I, I wanted to get bumped up more, but of course, if you've been following along, there's amazing Oz accounts out there. Like, of course, our yes. friends at the Oz Archive, formerly known as Legacy of Oz, our friend Tori at the Ozvog. They are posting so much about what's going on in the Wicked World, which includes recently released photos of set. Um, have you yes. seen? Have you seen? I actually FaceTimed uh, Follow the Albert Girl yesterday. And I saw a snippet with her, but I need to deep dive into them. Cause I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. It looks like an amusement park. It, I know. I thought it was at first. I was like, where is this? I thought it was the Warner brothers thing coming. Yeah. Like, oh, it's the set. <gasps> oh, <laughs> I'm very, so ready. Very, very so cool. Ready. We yeah. have cool stuff happening. And we also have the Barbie movie. That's going to have a lot of, um, that Barbie movie. I am so here for it. And then my little sister, Abby Schrader, shout out, sent me like a link to photos of Oz outside of it. Yes. So I think in our Patreon, on our Pod Squad feed, this spring, maybe summer, but most likely spring, we're going to have a Barbie Oz party, which will be a lot of fun. <gasps> I support that. Because Barbie and Oz, of course, like any like big American thing. Has I have many an Oz Barbie, I will say that. Has a relationship. So we'll explore yes. what that has looked like. Yep. M, do you ever wonder what happens to all that stuff when a favorite show closes on Broadway? Um, like the sets, costumes, and props? Yeah, and even the Marley on the floor. Well, everything is usually struck, disassembled, and packed away to make space for whatever the next show is, the theater becoming an empty, bare space again, almost like it never happened. Right. Theater comes and goes so quickly. But what if you could take home a little piece of that favorite show's magic with you, your own little piece of theater history? As the pink ladies say, tell me more, tell me more. I will. Scenery Bags handmakes bags and accessories out of retired theater sets. And 10% of proceeds are donated to introduce students to theater through TDF. We love a good cause even more. You can snag pieces from Wicked, Beetlejuice, Kinky Boots, Dear Evan Hansen, and many more. What do you mean, Wicked? Um, retired Glinda bubble dresses just may be made into <gasps> necklaces. Boo! Ah! That's amazing! <laughs> Last year, they even had ornaments made out of Dorothy's bedroom wallpaper from the MSG tour. Take all my money. Take it! We can't urge you more to check out Scenery Bags today to purchase perhaps the most tangible way to feel close to Broadway, especially your favorites that are long gone. Visit scenerybags.com, linked in show notes. Now, let me ask you, Em, now we're going to get this book. Now, what is your relationship with the book prior to this moment or Wicked in general if you don't have a relationship with the book? Sure. I want to stay away from the musical. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a whole can of worms. No, I have a relationship with the book. Um, I, this is, so I am reading out of the, I believe it's the 2000 reprint. It's the two, it's, um, it says my, my notes say first paperback edition published 1996, reissue 2000. So I'm assuming that's the one I have is like the reissue. I think that's what I used to have as a kid is that one. Okay. Cause that um, was so 
think that went out that was being sold at like the souvenir stand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it has my little name in it, which is so cute. I always write my name in my books. I believe I bought this myself at Barnes and Noble in Modesto, California, when I was probably 15 or 16, maybe 16. Love it. That's the copy. This is the exact copy. It's like stuck with me. I read it once back then and I have not reread it since. I started to reread it last year, but I, I fell off the bandwagon and now I'm back. Um, so I remember, I think I picked it up because maybe someone, maybe the guy I was dating at the time, because maybe it was after I did Wizard of Oz and then he was like, oh, you know about Tin Man, right? Like the show. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he was like, and you're like, Hey girl. <laughs> exactly. Where you going? <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think it was just like I hadn't even heard of this. And then was like, oh well, I have to, I have to read that. Come on. Um, and this was, you know, quick overlap, like right around the time I was getting into Wicked, the musical, and like seeing it. So I remember reading it and being so in over my head, like it went over my head. It was hard for me to comprehend. I really don't think I fully understood anything, but I do have a lot of notes in this book where it looks like I understood. <laughs> Wait, give me one note from child M. <laughs> okay. I saw one the other day and I was like, LOL. <laughs> I, I might not be able to find it now. Oh, well, it literally just says on page 383, March 18th, 2009, no, May 18th, 2009, with a star in all capitals and three exclamation points. Wow. What? (laughs) Wait, are you like saying that's when you read that page and you're like, this page is a wow? Or was that day a wow? Maybe that day was a wow. No, it was, it's a, uh, it's like I did a circle of a whole like paragraph and I was like, wow, this apparently got me. Okay. Which I don't want to read it because... Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's really cute. It is cute, right? That's my very in-depth note. So, yeah, I remember not knowing what a lot of these concepts were, um, but I remember still enjoying it and liking it. And then I knew there were other books, but I think I was like, you know, I'm not going to get into those just yet. So... Yeah, and I hadn't reread it since then, but it's always been with me. So I'm really excited to now, like, actually be able to go go deeper with it. Yeah, yeah, heard on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm how about you? I'm less than you, so I mean, my first exposure was definitely the musical, where it felt like everything I loved was coming together because I could not have been yeah. more obsessed with Idina Menzel at that moment. That's your girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I had her her um, like indie music albums. Like, oh we- yeah. We were, I was seeing movies. She was like a one-liner. Like we were, we were there, baby. We were there. My entrance into Wicked. And then I found out it was a book, which always excites me. And I think my parents may have got it for me for like a high school holiday of some kind. I don't know if it was like a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And I picked it up and I was like, I don't understand what's happening. What is this Oz? This doesn't make yeah. me musical feels. I just couldn't get into it. So I definitely like, and I also have a problem with that. Like I'm someone who picks up a book and can't finish, um, which I actually will quote this now. I thought this was an interesting thing I heard about from Greg, um, meaning Gregory Maguire, our good friend, Greg, who I really love in interviews, by the way, he's wonderful. He's really giving. Um, Mm -hmm. he's, 
doesn't start writing a story until he knows the first sentence. Once he knows the first sentence, he doesn't stop until the last line. He lets all of his stories survive. Oh my gosh. I don't do that. Like I, I like leave, I abandon shit. Oh yeah. 100%. (laughs) Um, so I, I, I feel my sense of abandonment with this book and I'm ready to like complete it now. That's where I'm at Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to do it justice. Like I already feel like with this episode, like just doing the research to get us started already, like so much more invested in this book than I ever was, you know? Yes. Yep. Okay. Now, before we get into Gregory Maguire's life, and we're going to call them his kernels or his core bricks that got him writing this. Um, and like, let's just do a quick little check-in of like where we're at. I think that's always really great. Now, if you want yeah. more on where we're at, we do our yellow brick vlogs on our Patreon. So you can get a nice exclusive behind the scenes look into where our yellow brick roads have been taking us. Cause both of us have had crazy 2000. <laughs> oh, it is wild. It's been wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess for me, the biggest, the biggest adventure I've been on that's new is I only have two weekends left of this training program that I've been in that I've shared only on our, on our Patreon feed. Um, so I signed up for this certified nurse assistant training program in New York city. It's actually if you know about Pearl Studios, which is where like a lot of the auditions happen for theater, it's literally like on that same block, which I just find so hilarious. Like, a, I don't know, a weird coincidence. Um, so I signed up for that. I began that in the beginning of March. Um, and basically Saturday, Sundays, I go to this kind of office in Midtown with 13 other people and a professor who is a registered nurse. And... All day long, we just like learn, we read from this humongous textbook about just nursing practices, what a CNA does. Um, We have exams. I've had to like make flashcards and study, which is, (laughs) I haven't done that forever. I wear scrubs. I own a pair of scrubs that are not that cute, but it's fine. Um, And um, I really want figs. If y'all know about fig scrubs, they're like the very bougie, like, hot girl scrubs. That's what I want. I don't think I've earned them yet. Stores in Arkansas. I've noticed. Okay. So I think like nursing here. Yeah. Nursing is the hot girl profession. Okay. Um, (laughs) and then we spend the uh, the majority of the time, there's like 22 skills we call them that we have to learn, which are just assisting someone with their activities of daily living. Um, most CNAs work with older folks, um, like in nursing homes, some are in hospitals. So it's a lot of just helping older people, um, go about their day in very large and small ways. Um, like example, I know how to clean dentures. Um, (laughs) I know how to brush someone's teeth or brush someone's mouth, clean someone's mouth who doesn't have teeth, like things like that, that it's like, Oh yeah, I I guess I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a process where I finish the training next weekend as of this recording, Um, and then I do an externship for four days in an actual nursing home. And then I can actually register to take the state exam where it's, there's a written portion. And then our professor keeps calling it an audition. She's like, you're going to have these proctors. You're going to walk in and they're just going to tell you which, 
like, hey, sing this cut from your book, okay? Parallel park and do a K turn. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, And you don't know what skills they're going to ask you to do. There's like very, very specific steps for each skill that you have to make sure you do. Um, So you kind of have to practice all of them. So that at least won't be for another maybe two months. Okay. Um, And then hopefully I'll be certified and have that just as like another thing in my tool belt to do. And, you know, I kind of embarked on this journey just to see if I might be interested in pursuing the healthcare profession. Um, The jury is still out. I mean, I really enjoy the training. I will say that. Like, I love the idea of taking care of people. I feel like I that is in my wheelhouse. Um, I really love the hands-on element. Very much. In I, I love learning about, you know, the healthcare profession and just what is required of you and how it helps people. Um, I'm weirdly super interested now in the human body. Like I was kind of worried I would be freaked, you know, freaked out by it, but I, I can like look at pictures of things that I would never be able to look at beforehand. And now I'm like, Oh, okay. I can see why that would happen. And like, I understand what's happening there. Um, So I'm very surprised by by my level of interest. I think, you know, what will be interesting is right now, and I hear this from a lot of people, like wherever, whatever, from many different areas of the healthcare profession is like when you're practicing, it's with a dummy. It's not like a real person going through this. So it will be very different. I think even just going to the externship, it will feel like a completely different experience because it will be an actual person with thoughts and emotions and feelings. And maybe they're having a bad day, you know. Comfortableness, yeah. Yes. Like, it's not just, okay, acting. It's real. It's so vulnerable yeah. people to need. Very, very vulnerable. Yes. So I think that will be different. So I don't want to sit here and be like, yeah, I totally know what this is. Like, I really don't, I still don't know what it is fully, but I do know that I'm really glad I signed up for it. Um, And I'm just sort of at the beginning of this journey of seeing if I want to pursue, you know, continue to pursue the nursing field. It's on my mind. So that has been a huge, a huge thing in my life this year. You took action with something that you've been very curious about. And that is amazing because it's, you could just stay, you could stay fishing, you know, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And one last quick fun fact. My professor is a retired professional musician, which is just so wild and weird. Like she played oboe for like 15 years and taught music and worked in schools. And so the second she found out, I also come from a musical, you know, music background. We've had some pretty crazy chats. So I just find that to be, you know, those little moments on your yellow brick road when you're like, oh, wow, that's such just a weird, small coincidence, but it makes you feel yeah. like you're in the right place. So hundred percent. Can I share this really quick? Cause it's so sweet. So I usually have something Oz on my body here in Little Rock. Like, mm-hmm. Thing. Like it's if it's my lounge fly bag, my one and only lounge fly bag, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or if it's my mug that has the Emerald City on it, or if it's a T-shirt, or if it's earrings with the workshop. Whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> I usually have it on me, so I've had a million conversations about Return to Oz lately by a lot of like you know I'm working with a lot of young people who are in their like early twenties to mid twenties who like, you know, return to Oz escaped them. So they're so fascinated. And (laughs) 
especially since like the 80s aesthetic is so in right now. I feel like there's even yes. more of a draw to that. So that's been fun. But my PT here, so I'm still getting um, PT for my wrist. I'm still in recovery from my wrist break that ha- I had happen at the end of last year. Um, they noticed my Wizard of Oz mug, I think like the first day and showed me all of their Halloween pictures and the whole entire office dressed up as all the different characters. And like, it was just a different, it took, you know how like, it just takes a relationship in a different place, you know, yes. warm, fuzzy yes. feelings rather than this like kind of like cold doctor patient thing that could mm-hmm. happen or could just stay there. Right. So that was really cool to have like Oz is like a part of how I'm connecting to a lot of new people because I came to Little Rock. So I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm doing Little Shop of Horrors at the Arkansas Repertory Theater. It's been an amazing experience. I can't even talk about it that much because it's just like I get scared of it ending at this moment because I don't want it to so miss everyone in my life that's not here. So it's like that, like, you know, I'm in it right now. Um, But it's been unbelievable. I feel like I'm playing the role of a lifetime with people of a lifetime. Um, and I didn't know anyone coming into this. Like just a wow. little bit, my Seymour, who's his name is Greg Lachella. Um, Greg. And yeah, Greg. Greg. <laughs> Greg. He, I knew of, like we've known of each other and like have met and like, like you know, like, hi, like just very briefly. Um, so he's the only person I kind of knew. That's it. Um, so it's been, it's been amazing. I really love that our concept is centered around drag Mm -hmm. (laughs) beyond important to have, um, drag belonging and being a essential part of artistic expression and, like having that live so strongly, like a monstrous plant in the theater right now is so freaking cool. Like that we are doing a reinterpreted little shop that works. Cause you know, like you could reinterpret something and it doesn't work. This works and it's so pertinent to everything happening, especially in the state that I'm in right now. I think this mm-hmm. New York, like our director said this, our director is beyond phenomenal. Her name is Stephanie Clemens. She is um, one of the Hamilton associates. She's just amazing. I love her so much. Her energy is just so good. And she was like, if this was in New York, we'd be sold out. Like mm-hmm. we are sold out here too, but like we would, it would be like the talk of the town. Cause it's such a different um, approach to it, but also like honors everything that is good about little shop. It's a classic, well-written, beautifully done show. Like there's, I said, when the kids yesterday asked like, what's your favorite song? The show, I said, no skips, no skips. Like I like <laughs> really well done musical. Um, But she said that about like, yeah, the show would explode in New York. But I was like, I think it's more important that we're here though, you know, Mm -hmm. especially for people who don't feel like they get enough representation of what they love in their area. You know what I mean? So it's been amazing. I really can't believe I'm here. This is a role I never really considered for myself, but it couldn't be more perfect. I, Mm -hmm. I feel like something takes over that is a really amazing thing to experience. Um, and yeah, I'm just grateful that I'm doing this. And now like starting to like, I feel like my garden was only Audrey for like the last like month. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, opening my garden back up for other things, which is like, I, that like I push and pull right now. So yeah. also still trying to take care of myself. My voice is in the depths of the basement this morning. <laughs> 
We love the depths. We basically I, yesterday, so I'm like, oh. You did. You did. That's another thing. So I, hard. I can't record. I have a put in rehearsal. Like we've had. Yes, like, it's been fun. Which is That's like life. magic of theater. But yeah. Anyway, where our yellow brick roads had been like big life things happening big life things and i just want to say you are so fierce as audrey go check out tara's instagram <laughs> the wig is everything the outfit is everything every audio recording that you've illegally sent me <laughs> edit out right everyone knows that people <laughs> everyone knows it's there i'm just so proud of you and i know that it's funny because you booked it like back in the fall October. It was right before like, Halloween. Mm-hmm. It was like the day that we were saying goodbye to each other because I was going to Connecticut and then you were going to go to South Carolina, um, which was just so funny. But I remember you kind of being like surprised that it had happened. And just like, I'm so proud to watch you step into this leading role and to just thrive and Thanks. you deserve it so much. So Thanks. I'm so proud. I'm a proud work wife. Bye. Even though you're holding other ladies' hands, <laughs> it's fine. I love you. Okay. That's our 2023 thus far. Okay. And now for some wicked stuff. Okay. So we're going to go okay. into Gregory Maguire, who is the author of this book. So yeah. I am is going to kind of parse through a little bit of Greg's life leading up to it. There's a lot that has happened after. We'll more focus on like what happened before, but mm-hmm. I, okay. So we're doing this thing on our Insta with um, our pod squad where we're asking for like their core bricks. Like what are the main things that brought you into Oz? Like what are your first memories of Oz? What are those things that you like hold as very special? Yeah. And I like, let me do that for Gregory Maguire. Like why did he write this? So there are a couple core things and before I get into those core things, I had this big realization that I've always kind of realized, like, I just like track it back whenever I kind of like peel back and back and back on things. Like, for instance, one of my favorite musicals of all time is Cabaret, which is about a nightclub in Nazi Germany as it's developing, as um Hitler is coming into power and the community that finds refuge in this club is being scrutinized, being attacked, being murdered. Um, And I remember having this thought when I did the musical in college, I was like, something really horrific happened and this beautiful musical exists because of it. And Wicked wouldn't be here without really horrific things happening, which like, Oh God, I just got like tears in my throat. Mm -hmm. There's really horrific things that inspired Greg (laughs) to keep it light (laughs) that inspired write this one being very, very hard to handle. So I want to give our listeners a warning now when we get into one of the things that inspired Greg, Gregory, (laughs) Greg, Gregory to write this. It's really, really rough. Like I had a lot of trouble reading through this and I am someone who loves true crime who loves a good cult, a cult doc, who loves, you know, likes to like kind of get into these things. Meaning I just like love to get into the human psyche with all this, but this one was even too far for me. So I want to put that out there before we get into it. Um, that, that will be in here. We won't get into great detail there. You can Google on your own, but that will be a part of this. But before we get there, Em, do you want to walk us through a little bit of Greg? A little bit of Greg. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Gregor, Gregory McGuire. He is currently 68 years old. 
<laughs> Gregory McGuire. He was born in Albany, New York, so he's an upstater. That's right. So a major, I actually didn't know this till I researched him, a major part of his life is actually his mother passed away um, after giving birth to him. Um, she suffered just compli birth complications. Wow. Um, pretty wild. So he uh, was sent to live. We'll it's in that's just interesting with like the first chapters of Wicked dealing with labor. I know. I know. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. I thought of that. I thought of that too. Um, so he was sent to live with an aunt. Um, and then later on, um, after a while, he, his aunt sent him to live at a local orphanage when he was six months old. He was there until the age of two. Um, his father, uh, biological father, got remarried. Um, and basically then he went to go live with his father um, yes. in Albany, New York. And he um, had, I think, seven siblings, six or seven siblings. I can't um, even I can't even, my brain is like exploding. A like, lot of siblings. Well, no, no, not that. Like the empathy oh. part of my being and brain are just like, I bet you anything the father couldn't look at him or something for some time. That is, I mean, this so, is really, yeah. That is, like, that is so hard. There you go. Like there's an example of like doing the right thing, but then doing like what you're feeling, which is probably really messed up emotions when you lose your partner in life. 100%. Oh, oh, I have no doubt that it's a very complex web of emotions because it does happen. Yeah. And he kind of enters the world a little bit like Alphaba's story of like unwantedness. I, I was really thinking that like, I don't want to read into it and put it on, put that onto him, but I felt that. Here's a something I there. Don't, I don't know how you couldn't, you know, explore that. So um, his dad remarried his mother's childhood best friend. Which this happens a lot. This happens a lot. Interesting, right? Yeah. It happens um, a lot. So he was raised by basically his stepmom and his dad, his biological dad. Um, he, I found, I'll link all of the articles and YouTube videos I watched. Um, but here's a quote from Mr. McGuire. I was encouraged by the benign neglect of my parents and by general scantness of family funds for other entertainments. Making things up, right? Scantness? Making things up with paper and pencil was fully engaging for me when there was nothing else to do. My parents were both writers, one professional and one avocational. Their love of language, story, and the benefits of reading permeated the household. And he talks a lot in different podcast interviews of like, putting on the wizard of Oz as a kid and like reenacting it and telling stories. Like, I think it's always been a huge part of his life. So he was schooled um, in Catholic schools all the way up till high school. He received his bachelor of arts in English and art from SUNY Albany. Um, he has his master's of arts in children's literature from Simmons college and a PhD in English and American literature from Tufts university. Uh, his doctoral thesis was on children's fantasy written from 1938 to 1989. So he's very well educated. Basically, he just was always inspired by like he in one of the episodes I listened to, he mentioned as a kid being like every job that I see a male doing, mm -hmm. I don't connect with. I don't see myself going to an office. I don't see myself wearing a suit like nothing ever sparked his interest 
the only thing that really held his attention were books and reading and writing. So it kind of was like his destiny, really. Well, what's too is he like started out writing specifically for children. Um, yes. I only there's a nice there's a nice slew of books he wrote from 1978. I believe is the debut of his first book, The Lightning Time. The Lightning Time, yep. Up until the 90s. Um, I only looked up the lightning time just to get like a sense of like, what was his like, sense, yeah. and the cover is giving Dorothy and Cowardly Lion vibes. Cause it's like, yeah. lion. and I was actually looking at some, like the reviews on Amazon. Cause a lot of people were remembering this book from their childhood. And so many people say, this is why I fell in love with reading, which I was like, Whoa. Oh, I love that. And like, they also kind of feel fever dreamy. Like, Oh my God, I remembered this book and I couldn't yeah, find like, it. Mm-hmm. But the book is about a New York City bred youth's illusions of a cookie-baking grandmother. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> book synopsis. A New York City bred youth's illusions of a cookie-baking grandmother are pleasantly shattered. I think Greg likes doing that. He likes to peel behind the curtain and make things a little bit more dark <laughs> when he visits mm-hmm. a dirty, independent woman and discovers the wonders of life in the Adirondacks, which we got to visit during the pandemic. <laughs> yes. This is what someone said in an Amazon review, which I thought was interesting because there's not a lot on this book now. It's pretty impossible to find because it's never been reprinted. This overlooked volume needs to be discovered, especially by educators interested in a vehicle that would promote dialogue, debate, and discussion of environmental issues and economic development. So here in his first book, he's already kind of stirring the pot under the guise of a children's book into deeper issues. I think this may have been Mr. McGuire's first published work. It was. He chose to set it in the Adirondacks, a perfect setting for the topics. Readers will not be disappointed. The elements of magic and mystery, a characteristic of other works, are also present here. So pretty cool. Oh, love that. Just to see like where he began because he wouldn't go into the adult, like crossing over the classic children's lit into adult context until the 90s. Until Wicked. Like... Which is so wild. Wicked is his first adult novel, which is just so insane. And he mentions many times being like, well, I'm not smart enough to write an adult novel. Like, what? <laughs> but these people. He's like, I know 12 people will like this. <laughs> right. It's like, um, my copy says more than 6 million copies in France. More than 6 million. I have the 20th anniversary edition of oh, cool. And it's signed by him. Uh-huh. Yeah. He already told me. And if you open it up, books of wonder dollars fall from it like rain. Like rain raining down on me, baby. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Well, I do want to read more of his books. He recommends if you he recommends not starting with Wicked. He recommends starting with either Cress and Watercress or another book of his called Egg and Spoon. Or a wild winter swan. Um, well, maybe we can read some of these, and maybe we could do some yeah. deep dive with the Pod Squad. That would be really that'd be fun. fun. That'd be yeah. fun. Um, and I just I always connect with an author who's like a children's lit person, just because I feel like that's what grab had me gravitate towards. You know, reading. Um, and a quote from him that I just loved. He says, "I love fantasy characters to erupt into the world, like Mary Poppins or ET." And changing everything for the lucky or cursed people welcoming them into their world. I love it. He's really gifted with words. He really, he knows his words, baby. He knows Um, his words. He loved, he loved Harriet the Spy as a kid. He, I ate um, too many Vegas. Yes, I knew you would appreciate it. I was Um, like, I 
this, but I want to be her. Yeah. Um, one of his muses is Maury Sendak, Where the Wild Things Are. Very much in that world. So just a little bit more about him up until Wicked. Um, he, around like 1978, when he was about in his mid to late 20s, right after he publishes his first novel, at least this is what his Wikipedia page says, he sort of starts to maybe come into his sexuality as a gay man. Yes. Um, uh, and around that same time as well, he became a professor and co-director at uh, the Simmons College Center for the Study of Children's Literature until 86. Um, in 87, he co-founded a nonprofit educational charity, Children's Literature New England Incorporated. He was he their co-director for 25 years. And he welcomed Tara Tagliaferro into the world as well. Yes, he did. Yeah. You, he is your father. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. Plot twist. 87. Okay, get it, get it, get it. Um, he's lived internationally. He's lived in Dublin. He's lived in London. And now he he's resided he in Massachusetts. What was that? Did he live in London? Because that's I think that's where he wrote Wicked, right? He wrote Wicked in London. I believe so. I believe he wrote it in London. So he publishes his first adult novel in 1995. Obviously, that's what we're here to talk about. A little bit later, he meets in 1997 his uh, now husband, Andy Newman, who is a, an American painter. Um, they met at an art colony, which is just like so cute. You said Andy. Um, I pictured Paul Newman. I know. I know. That's <laughs> I all I hear that. in my head is like, what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same person, sadly. Bless Paul um, <laughs> Bless Paul Newman. No longer. Um, rest in peace, Paul Newman. Um, so they now reside in Massachusetts, I believe. They've adopted three children. Luke and Alex, they were born originally in Cambodia. Helen was born in Guatemala. They were married in June of 2004. And they were, I believe, one of the first same-sex marriages performed in the state of Massachusetts. That is pretty cool. I mean, 2004, yeah. when he has Wicked on freaking Broadway. <laughs> Like that was the way married. Yeah. That's yeah. Insane. I'll attach a video um, featured on Oprah from 2009, where they talk about their family life. They seem like just the most normal, like just family. And it's like, Oh yeah, you are the creator of wicked. <laughs> like, he said that he loves his life because like, he's not famous. The wicked witch of the West is famous. He loves that. Yeah. He's like I could kind of hide behind her. Like I'm the guy you sit next to on a train and probably won't even talk to. I was like, I, I love that. <laughs> he seems really, and he, he talks about, he's very involved in the Oz community. I know a lot of our listeners know him personally, or he comments yes. on Facebook things. <sighs> Craig, Greg, get on Instagram. Greg, come on, uh, come on over to Instagram, Greggy. Boomer bookers, okay. <laughs> I think, um, and another thing that really made me be like, oh wow, this man is amazing. He was just basically saying how much like Wicked the book means to him because it did, you know, it did provide such a financial security that he was able to adopt his kids and like have, have, like have a family. And I was just like, wow, that's a way to use, you know, success in the broader like societal lens and like use it for your values, you know? And the book was not an instant 
hit. The musical kind yeah. of rebirthed the book in a way. It had mm-hmm. lots of mixed reviews, which we'll get into all of that when we finish the book, but it wasn't critically accepted. It wasn't like this big, you know, when it yeah. came what it wasn't crazily received. Until um, the musical. Kind of like, it's a theme. I'm seeing two themes here that we see often in Oz. The kind of floppish entrance and then <laughs> having like a timelessness to it. Like, yeah, I, I hate to say floppish or just like it didn't, it didn't explode into the scene. I think that's yeah. the, like, it, yeah. Um, that's a common theme in Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, and the L. Frank Brahm in him where he creates this thing that keeps kind of sucking him back in. Yeah, you're so right. Feeding it because it's his most successful thing that he's done. Feed me. Oh, there is an Audrey 2 reference coming up in probably our next episode that I found. Can't wait. Can't wait. Love that. Alphaba. It's Alphaba like bites someone's freaking finger off. She does. She bites the finger off. Just so you know. It must be fresh. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. They're, they're, yeah, they're cousins. Audrey (laughs) 2 and Alphaba. Maybe, maybe Audrey 2 is from Oz. We could put that theory out there. Oh, I'm so here for that. Any more, Hin? (laughs) (laughs) Hin? Anywho. Well, that, well, my last little thing, exactly what you said, like, the beginning on the cover of my cover. On, on the my cover. <laughs> and there's two covers because I didn't. The cover of my cover. It's back and there's more to the illustration, which we'll get into. So I, we will get into that. The keyhole. I know it's one of my favorite parts of every, all four of them. They have the little keyhole thing. Um, so on the front of my cover, <laughs> I did it again. On the front of my cover? Yeah, I'm not editing this out at all. On the cover of my book. You just sing that like to the tune of On the Steps of the Palace. (laughs) On the cover of my cover. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. It says Gregory Maguire, author of Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister. Which was like getting like a film treatment or a television treatment. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, that came after Wicked. So it's just like funny to be like, oh yeah, this isn't his biggest thing. Like, remember this one, that that other book. Mine is like, it's his biggest thing. Yeah. It's like, this is it. Yes, exactly. Let's try. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my, my mini dive on Mr. Greg. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Now I'm just going to highlight some of the kernels, some of his core. So I listened to a bunch of interviews and he expressed like what made him write this. I want to still know more and see if I could dig more on like his research that he did in order to write this, like what he did to prepare. Like, did he read all the Oz books? I think he, for certain he did. That man put on his map. He put Oogaboo. He knows. He knows. He knows. So anywho. Okay. I think he knows. He was having a compulsion to write about evil in the early 90s. And there's a couple things that inspire that. As you do. <laughs> As you do. And But before we get to the evil, let's just talk about the Oz things. So there's two big, if I had to pick visual images that would inspire Wicked in, Wicked's creation, maybe three, three main things. The first being that his family did not let him watch television. Only mm. one thing he watched was the annual airing of The Wizard of Oz. Growing up, that was a big thing that they always, like you were saying, it was a big part of his childhood. 
So it's very special. He was very bookish. Yeah, he said his parents were very strict. They were lent it to the Wizard of Oz, the annual viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always been like in his brain. So I would probably put a picture of like the annual airing of the Wizard of Oz. The yeah. next he always had burned in his brain was the squished sister, he calls it. The squished sister. Yeah, same. We don't see her face. Like, I want to know more. Like, that kind of curiosity. Um, behind the woman just wearing the sparkly shoes. Who was that? So he's always had an intrigue of, like, who is that? Um, he has said that, like, he's never cared about Oz being too sacred. Like, he's really just kind of, like, ran with, like, I have this idea. It'll be mine. And, like, some people will probably hate it, whatever. I mean, I love – we'll get into this, but to pull it now just because it really speaks. In his um, – Thank you in my book. I don't know if this is a newly added thank you um, to the 25th anniversary edition, but he said, thank you as well. It says any imperfections that remain in the book are mine. Mm -hmm. Um, He thanks all these people who like, I think edit. I just love that he like owns that. Like, I know. Perfect. I kind of love that. So that's cool. And okay. So the other, the third image I would put for his core yellow brick in writing this book is something he said Margaret Hamilton came to him in like a dream. I know, I love that. A vision. Yeah, like the version. Vision almost like a prophecy. Yes. Um, and that he was just like, she needs to be the source of this whole fascination I'm having with evil right now. She's going to be my muse. Because he said, you write what you know. I know children's literature. Um, mm-hmm. Church music. And church music was kind of coming yeah. up for an idea. So he, this is what came to him, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Okay. Now to transition into the two big things that he was, that were happening simultaneously. And there, one of them is, I didn't know, knew nothing about, um, because it happened in England, but it's horrifying. Um, let's save that one for last since it's the hardest, but the big thing that he was like, really like struck by, was the propaganda around the Gulf, the Gulf War in England, like trying to justify this war and like rally people behind it. Cause a lot of people were like, why are we getting involved? Which is like always the question I think to America and Britain, why are you getting involved? Like I think <laughs> question. So um, the Gulf War was happening. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that let's in. T- let's talk about it. <laughs> Okay. So the Gulf War was a 19, I'm literally taking this from Wikipedia because I'm like, dear God, I was mm-hmm. three years when this happened and my history on this is not great. It was a 1990 to 1991 armed campaign waged by a 39 country military coalition in response. The big thing here is just knowing that Iraq invaded Kuwait and they invaded in a way that a lot of other nations ruled as aggressive and unnecessary and horrifying. Um, and of course, leading Iraq at this time was Saddam Hussein. Um, So he would be seeing all these headlines and articles like calling Saddam Hussein the next Hitler, which he found to be like, whoa, that's like language that like makes people do things, right? Yeah. Like if you're going to call someone that, you want to kind of shut that person down, right? Like you don't want Hitler to happen again. So I found an article from 1990 by Marjorie Williams is in the Washington Post called Monster in the Making. And maybe just listen to this. It's about Saddam Hussein and like 
put in the Wicked Witch of the West or just like mm-hmm. hear the language that would like make your blood boil, right? On meeting him, writes Time Magazine, a visitor is first struck by his eyes, crackling with alertness and at the same time cold and remorseless as snake eyes on the sides of dice. They are the eyes of a killer. Granted, Saddam Hussein is no one's idea of an Eagle Scout. Even before he invaded Kuwait last week, it's so kind of chilly to read last week because it's like, well, this happened so many years ago. His acts of tyranny were a matter of record. He is a warmonger, author of an eight-year million casualty war with Iran, a user of poison gas against Iranian troops and an estimated 7,000 Kurdish civilians inside Iraq, a brutal repressor of his own countrymen. Still, he has undergone a striking transformation over the past week in the American media and the American imagination. Once a dictator who most Americans could not identify. That's an insane thing. But with whom the United States has sided for most of the past decade, Saddam Hussein is now suddenly revealed as a fiend in human form. So he was once this one thing, and now he's not. A bloodthirsty megalomaniac opines in New York Post, which headlined on Tuesday, this blunt expression of American sentiment, up yours, Baghdad's bully, summarizes the cover of Newsweek. Iraq's do-it-my-way-or-die ruler, scolds Boston Globe columnist David Nyhan. A week ago, Greg Will wrote, it is tempting but misleading to compare the strutting Saddam Hussein to Mussolini. Hussein radiates a more virulent and personal viciousness than Mussolini did. Yesterday, Will promoted Saddam in the pantheon of tyrants, writing, Saddam Hussein is not Hitler, but the dynamism of his regime is Hitlerian. Lawmakers, too, were quick to crank up the Axis imagery, denouncing Saddam as a bloodthirsty madman. The the administration and the American media have done a brilliant job, as the political image makers might say, of driving up his negatives. The past week has seen an orgy of the American craving for personality both to personalize conflict and to personify a threat. So this article goes on and on, but I thought I would read some of this because this is a huge inspiration of why this book was written. Um, I think it's really interesting that America, I didn't know America at one point sided with Saddam Hussein. I did not know that either. Not saying like, oh, we should look at Saddam Hussein and he wasn't that bad. No, he's freaking terrible. But mm-hmm. like, it's just interesting too, like how the media is a part of this too. And the words we use a part of this. Yeah. So very interesting. So that would probably be another part of the core bricks I would put is like the Gulf War. And just a little bit more on the Gulf War too. Um, so this is when Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister Her and the American president at the time, who was George H.W. Bush, they deployed troops and equipment into Saudi Arabia and openly urged other countries to send their own forces to the scene, which was a little point of contention. In response to the joint call, an array of countries joined the American-led coalition, forming the largest military alliance since World War II, which is pretty insane. The bulk of the coalition's military power was from the United States, with Saudi Arabia, the United Kingdom, and Egypt as the largest let-up contributors in that order. Um, Saudi Arabia and the Kuwait government in exile paid around U.S. $32 billion of the U.S. $60 billion cost to mobilize the coalition against Iraq. So that is huge. That's a big part of why Wicket was written. Um, and the next one here is where I'm like, listeners, this is very sensitive. And 
it's happened over three years ago. It's still talked about in um, British media. The mother of a slain two-year-old child still is talking about what has happened. She just released a book. So there was this horrific act that happened. Um, and this is a little hard for me. I might get emotional just because I teach kids this age and this really, I can't even fathom anything of this, but this two-year-old child, his name was James Bulger. Um, he was taken, lured by two 10-year-old boys. It's so horrible. And they sought to kill him. Like, they viciously murdered this child. It's so horrible to look into. Um, and it created this craze in, in uh, British media because it's like, how could two 10-year-old boys do something so horrific? Because what they did to this child, it is beyond, like, I won't get into the details of what they did, but they brutally murdered this two-year-old boy. And, like, took just by taking his hand and having him, him trust them, there's footage of him leaving the supermarket that I think he was in the market he was in with his mom. The mom literally put her hand down for a minute. Her book that just came out is called I Let Him Go, which is, like, the hardest title to even, like, look at. It's like a, weather, a mother's worst nightmare. She got divorced from her husband right after. I can't even imagine what she had to go through. They had a child together. I think she was pregnant maybe at the time too um, when this happened, but she has like another life now too. Like it's insane. So um, Greg McGuire talks about this in one of the interviews I was listening to. He misquotes a little bit of what happened. I think he says it was a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. It wasn't. It was two 10-year-old boys um, who did this. So if you want to know more, because um, his question was, how could these two boys, two 10-year-old boys, do something so wicked? And there's so much that has gone into researching these two boys. Their identities are still concealed because the fear of releasing their names to the public, like where they are, is like concealed. Like no one, they're, they're hidden they're under different identities now. Um, but you could find their mugshots at 10 years old, which is horrifying to look at. But if their identities were to be released, there's still a great fear that they would just be murdered. So they're protected. And one has since continued, like been, like continued what he was basically doing. And the mom is still fighting to have him behind bars because they got released because they were kids. They served about eight to 10 years. Um, one, I think, has not. And that one suffered more PTSD from the murder of this child and suffered more remorse. One did not suffer any remorse. Um, this is really hard to talk about my friends. Um, and the picture of the little boys that has gone around the one that circulates is like, just, he's a, like, you know, it's everything you like, why you look at this picture of this little boy, James Bulger. It's like why I want to have kids is like, that's like the picture you see. It's like, there's just pure joy. How can someone Two kids, two 10-year-old children, know how, number one, know how to do what they did. It's what they did to him is next level. It's just straight up torture. And they were 10. So this is a huge part of Wicked's story. Um, it remains one of the most shocking crimes in British history. Um, and just here's just like details, like I think, like, you know, condensed down because I haven't really been talking. I've been talking a little bit more broadly. Just a month before his third birthday, James Bulger was abducted and killed by 10-year-old boys, Robert Thompson and 
John Enables, making them Britain's youngest murderers. It changed the game of how court would handle minors. Um, but now, almost 30 years later, um, James Bulger's mother, Denise Fergus, joins us to share her continued fight. Oh, this is from the YouTube um, interview I watched with her recently um, in British media to keep the Nables, who is the one who continues to um, be arrested for child abusive pornography on his, on his computer, which is horrifying. Um, and sharing, and she shares new information also that what brought her peace. She's recently found a certain amount of peace because she was starting to lose memories of her son because she's just, you know, consistently defending like getting, you know, she's consistently obsessed with the murderers of her son and like what happened to her son. I mean, it's really bad. I will not, the details are, they're worse. I want to assure you they are worse than you can imagine. Like it's that bad. And so she had to go through that. And she said she like lost the son, her memories of her son. So she wrote this book to just remember him as a human being for the short two years he lived. Oh God, it's so horrible. But I'm just going to wrap us back up with what I said at the very top, like from really horrific things. I do think some of the most beautiful things we have in this world come about. And I think that's the only thing we can like trust in this world is like, if something horrible, horrible, horrible happens, something beautiful is around the corner. Um, I think that's it. I, I don't know what else to say, but I didn't know anything about this. This is not, known in American media um, as well. So I'm wondering for our British listeners, you're probably like, oh God, they just discovered that case. Wow. Because I'm sure you've grown up with it. Like we've grown up with John Bonnet Ramsey. Um, so that I'm flushed. I'm sad. I'm tired. But that that is, that is a yeah. part of Wicked Story. Oh my God. Hi. Whew. Yeah, I did not know. You texted me this morning. You're like, "Did you have you looked into that?" And I was like, don't, "What?" And then I don't just look Googled at it. it. Well, well, I did as you were talking, um, and it was very disturbing. It's really, I mean, obviously, it's a tragedy, and oh, it's so sad. It's like um, appalling, disgusting thing. It's horrific, um, and it's also like. Props to Gregory Maguire for, for hearing about this story and like being willing to go there because it does bring up even in the Wikipedia article, like what you were saying about they didn't serve a life sentence and it's like, yeah, should they like, the how do you yeah. right? And I'm sure there's like a million different opinions. Like it's really, really complicated. That's so complex. So being able to, cause I, I see stuff like this and I like shy away. Like I am just like, I don't even, I might read about it, but then I will try to forget it as soon as I read it. Um, so, but this, it is connected obviously to the idea of like wickedness and evil and why these are children, but still like what compels someone to do something like that? Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I did do a little bit further research on this question with these children, these two 10-year-old kids. Yeah. There was a movie that they may have been emulating, um, which is like oh my impression that like video, violent video games, like all that kind of stuff that brings. That's usually where it starts for kids. Like they see it somewhere. They don't just come up with it. Like it's normalized. Um Literally, one of the kids asked, were they able to, re 
were they able to get him alive again? One of the kids asked that. They didn't know. One of them, that, I think it's, the, I think it's the one that is, has not committed any other crimes since. It's like vomit, right? But um, they were torturing animals before mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. The fact that there was no red flags from any parents is beyond horrifying. So it's like what was going on in those homes. Um, And they tried to kidnap two other children before this and they failed. Oh my gosh. That like makes my stomach so sick to think of a kid trying to kidnap another. Like Only eight years in difference. Yeah. This had to be horrifying for like the British like the British nation, like this, that's horrifying. Sonia and the parent, like all the parents involved. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. I feel like this is like our akin. It's even, it's worse because it was children. I think children hurting children. Um, but it's akin to like the sensationalism of John Bonet. Cause we still talk about John Bonet Ramsey here. Um, yeah. famous 1996, I think, or 95, I think it was 96 case. of a little girl that is still unsolved who's murdered in her own home. It's like the same kind of, Mm. You're invoking stuff, but yeah, these things, you can't not look at it. If it did happen, it did happen. It is a thing that really happened. So thank you for walking us through it. I don't think I could have done that. Of course. Um, This is, here's my alphabet. (laughs) Yeah. This is all you, baby. I'm like, take this. Um, I, uh, I literally just, there is a YouTube video in which Gregory McGuire mentions this. And I, that's all I could watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. wow. It, it's helpful though. It gives okay. us a, you know, the backstory. The whole um, point of what we're doing here is like to really peel back, like why these things happen. And I yeah. think it's always, we always are finding really bizarre concoctions of things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like that inform why, like if L. Frank Baum didn't have a suffragette, um, activist as a mother-in-law yeah Oz right. matriarchal yeah. my is totes now <laughs> <laughs> totes now you know so it's like these little things that had to happen to make something that we are considering to be sacred or like something you know that is be, like you know affecting a, like wicked has affected a generation of people yeah 100 percent like I've shared before, like some of my kids are finding Wizard of Oz through Wicked now. Like they're getting like, right now. They're like, oh, Wicked exists. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. Having to talk my little, my little Leora, my student Leora into like, no, like Firo is the scarecrow, but like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, honey, we gotta, we gotta talk about this. Well, I, I just wanted to say a few quick things like um, Gregory McGuire he apparently started writing Wicked the day of his 39th birthday, which is kind of cool. Like, to L. Frank Baum. That's like, Baumy was 42. Wild, right? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He was 42 and it published. Wait, they're like the same. Ooh, age. They're the same person. Yeah. Baum um, was 38, 39, I think, when he finally started writing everything down. Well, there you go. I still got time. You got it, you got it baby. We, still, we, we got time. We got this. We can write the next Wicked. <laughs> um. <laughs> And that's just like his writing style is starting with this burning question of like, okay, how can I explore this and like bring people along with me? Um, And the last thing I wanted to say, oh, he also mentions there was this like late nineties resurgence of fantasy with like game of Thrones, I think came out at the same time. 
um, the books. Yeah, I was like, not the HBO series, (laughs) the books. And, you know, he's very humble in these interviews. He's like, you know, I'm not saying Wicked was like the leader of it, just was a part of it. I'm like, I think it was a leader, though. I think it I think it's definitely a a, it's up there. (laughs) Um, And then I also just wanted to really quickly um, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones informed Emerald City. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Look at that. Um, he also mentioned, you're right, he was living in London when he wrote this. And he that's kind of like when he started to feel like, oh, li- living outside of the United States, like Americans are rarely challenged to like reflect on how other people in other parts of the world think. Yep. And he felt like Oz is the United States of America, like just kind of in I, little world. I would actually love someone who does not. So, hey, listeners who are not in America. Hi, it's Tara. Hey. And I'm Dan. Um, I would love to know what you think of our current state because I'm sure we're making headlines. Well, here, there I go. That's the American asshole, right? I'm sure we're, everyone's talking about us because, like, that's how we are. <laughs> you are aware of our horrifying mass shootings that just consistently happen um, in supermarkets and schools, usually children being killed, and our consistent. Um, cycle of thoughts and prayers into inaction into the next shooting happening thoughts and prayers and action next shooting happening um what do you think of that um (laughs) would love to know (laughs) would love to know because most countries especially first world nations that have had this happen they don't happen in anymore we somehow can't figure it out so i would love a reflection from not an american yeah i think that'd be interesting because that apparently was like a big part of him feeling I guess not homesick, but just like being outside of his American homeland. His mind, Greg McGuire. Yeah. Um, he hates writing series, apparently. Like well, Wicked there- was <laughs> Wicked was supposed to be a one off and Come on, yeah. There you go. And then last but not least, our illustrator is Douglas Smith. Um, tell us who- more. Tell us more about Douglas Smith. I found like his artist portfolio on this like firm. Or, you know, he's like their clients. I don't really understand. I'm trying to understand. But his bio is there with all of his like. Uh, his agent. <laughs> his agent. That's who it was. Um, and it's like, but it's really cool. There's all these sketches of his process, especially with covers of Gregory Maguire Oz books. So he was born in New York City. He attended the Rhode Island School of Design, BFA in illustration in 1974. He studied sculpture, painting, printmaking. He then moved to Boston, which I'm assuming is how they met in oh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Both like New Englanders. Yeah. Yeah. He had a freelance career working with local magazines like the Boston Globe, Boston Magazine, so on and so forth. Um, He also designed and drew numerous projects for Greenpeace, including an anti-whaling children's book, um, an internationally famous t-shirt design opposing the annual harvest of harp seal pups. What? He's lectured at Rhode Rhode Island School of Design, um, Parsons, he sounds great. He sounds amazing. And he has, yeah, I definitely, I'll link the, the, the part of his website or his bio where it has like all of the Gregory Maguire sketches. Um, and he talks about his like process of starting with pencil sketches, taking photos of models for reference. And then he talks about the keyhole design idea of like, okay, no matter what I illustrate, like the main face has to be in a specific spot. And then when you open it, you know, the rest is revealed. So MK, do you know our girl, the patchwork girl, has inspired people to become quilters? Oh 
my heart. Like Mary Ellen at Starry Home Crafts on Etsy, who makes handmade artisan dolls, holiday stockings, shower curtains, quilts, and more from the comfort of her home to yours. Happy to customize orders for that extra personal touch. Mary Ellen also makes a doll of our girl scraps that will melt your heart, featured in our 2022 giveaway that I almost couldn't part with. Starry Home Crafts Patchwork Girl is the perfect friend to brighten up your Oz collection or befriend your Raggedy Ann or Andy. Warning, if you do have any scarecrows, she's bound to fall in love. So be prepared. Visit Starry Home Crafts for your very own Patchwork Girl today and more rag, cloth dolls, can cozies, embroideries, shawls, scarves, you name it. Link in show notes. I love it so much. Let's talk about the cover for a second because it is really strange. The cover. I mean, you could buy. There are a couple different versions. You can get the musical logo on the book if you would like. But I highly suggest either getting like an original version or getting the 25th anniversary edition Mm -hmm. because there's a new afterword that's added into here, which we'll get into later. But um, yeah, when you open up, you have a lot of like tangly branches and vines that are green that surround the cover. But when you open up the book jacket, you get the full illustration because you only get this keyhole glimpse of the slanted hat. Um, yes. Um, it clearly looks like she might be in a storm of some kind as like her robes are billowing. Um, and you just kind of get like a very confident smirk in her smile and then when you see what she's holding, she's like almost looks like she's nursing yeah. a monkey in her hands. That is like looks like the monkey is either in pain or just like you know being rescued in some way. There's a wolf dog that is at her hand that is looking like they are protecting her. And there's a little mm-hmm. cat that is clawing at her. So there's clear animals. And of course, we then see the tornado behind her. We see the storm, and then we see the house. Um, which gives, of course, probably one of the most iconic lines in Broadway musical marketing. So much happened before Dorothy dropped in. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. It's a cool that you get to see behind more. So um, I also thought, I don't know if you have this in your version, but I think this would be a fun game. Um, on my book jacket to the left, it says, The People of Oz Speak, and it's quotes from Glinda, Alphaba, and a bunch of other different characters. And I no, thought, I don't have that. I think what I'm going to ask you to do is say, who would say this in 2023? Okay. I'm going to give you a Like a figure, a person? I'm saying this. Okay. Pop culture figure, leader. (laughs) Ready? Okay. Okay. I'm nervous. Okay. Um, It is the nature of evil to be secret. (laughs) What is it? It is the nature of evil to be secret. It is the nature of evil to be secret? I see um, Alpha and White Lotus saying this. <laughs> it is the nature of evil to be so. I'm getting a mysterious, like, Instagram influencer who only posts, like, you have to decode the hints that they yeah. put in their story of, like, secret pop-up. Yes. Here I am looking hot outside this door. Find it. Uh, Probably Taylor Swift would say this. Oh, okay. I love it. Okay. It's like an Instagram marketing campaign. Okay. <laughs> no, I have more money than I can give away. I never imagined that doing public charity would provide such a rush. <laughs> Is that it, Glinda? Yeah. I have more money than I can give away. 
Well, this sounds like someone who's very unaware, you know, of like your standing in this world. You're very privileged. This would be like privileged elite that like we want to make fun of as peasants. This would be like basic white biddy who accidentally her dad like gave her a bunch of money and then she's like, I don't know, I I have so much. Like I should just keep it to myself. I'm gonna keep these lotus characters. Uh, It's all white lotus characters, yeah. Okay, I don't know who this character is because I haven't read the book yet. Princess Nastoya of Scrow. Ooh. The times are a crucible when the air is full of crisis. Those who are the most themselves are the victims. What? I see what she's saying. The people who do the right things, like a Joan of Arc situation, often die. Die. I'm going to say like Rupee Carr would say that. I was thinking, like, yeah, Marianne Williamson vibe. Yes, yes. Someone someone who you're like, what are you saying? But then you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, y'all. Marianne Williamson is running for president. Encourage you to look at her platform because I love her book. Mainstream media is only going to tell you Joe Biden. So just like, look, look outside. Okay, thank you. Look Look outside. Quick PSA. Please. Okay, thank you. And then here's the next one. The thing is, my green girly. It is not for a girl or a student or a citizen to assess what is wrong. This is the job of leaders. <gasps> I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> this just I'm just seeing like a Trump supporter woman. Yeah, yeah I hear you. Like, you I know, know that vibe that's like, thinks I, they're trying, they, they're like, don't, don't muddle in this. And it's like, being my so back. She's not that. My mom will say, like, Tara, just don't get involved. It's yeah, don't get involved. It's like someone who's really they they have their be- they have like good intentions, but it's like don't challenge the status quo. I don't know if it's good intentions. They have intentions. <laughs> they have an intention um, to like yeah. protect. Like this makes me think of what is the man who like runs around Trump conventions and interviews people. <laughs> They're you know what I'm talking about? I, I feel like someone, yes, I know exactly. I feel like someone would say this and they would take themselves very, they would genuinely. Okay. So Jordan Klepper goes to all these Trump conventions and he like interviews people. And I remember like when it was Hillary versus Donald Trump, they were, there was a bunch of like white women saying women should never lead a country because, right. Right. because of our periods essentially was what they were coming mm-hmm. down to, which I was like, what? Huh? Oh my gosh. That's what that makes me think of. I'm I'm with you. Yes. Okay. Here's the next. What do you think Madame Morble was saying with the epigram animals should be seen and not heard? Dr. Dillamond. I think this is your, your favorite professor at a college, obviously, because Dr. Dillamond is trying to challenge his students to think, Mm -hmm. but do you have something in mind? Can you say it again? Animals. What do you think Madame Morrible was saying with the epigram? Am I saying that word right? Epigram? Animals so. and not heard. Oh, so they're like trying to get you to really think about it and like get into that person's head. I mean, the first person who comes to mind is my professor right now, since I have one. Yeah, like a therapisty kind of approach. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, you might have your initial reaction, but maybe take a second to challenge yourself and look beyond Beyond. Beyond. I agree. 
Okay, then this is a Madam Morrible quote. Given a long enough time, of course, a wide enough frame, there's nothing said or done ever that isn't ironic in the end. Alanis Morissette. Okay, I'm going to let that hang. <laughs> isn't it ironic? Great. And then we have from Fiora. 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 <laughs> what the fuck, Tara? Fiora. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. What in the world do you know about wickedness? <laughs> that feels like The Bachelor. And scene. Amen. Done and that love is blind. <laughs> Irina. <laughs> I am dead. Okay. Thought that would be a fun little that was game, fun. game to play. But before we um, wrap up this intro episode, M, in your copy of the book, before we get into the prologue, was there anything? Oh, there's that quote that struck you. I'm just going to say the dedication really quick. Yeah. This book is for Betty Levin. We can't find anything on her. <laughs> she is. We're calling for Betty Levin Danko because we love Betty Danko. Who Betty is Levin Danko. The Wicked Witch of the West. She it could was- be. I'm just saying. And for all those who taught me to love and fear goodness. So this book is for love Betty. Love and fear goodness. Wow. Those who taught me to love and fear goodness. And that's where I started our episode is like, yeah, goodness is a mask often. People are doing good things often because it looks good. Goodness doesn't mean right. I'm like, I don't want to be a good girl anymore. Like, that's always... We're done. No, we're in our villain era. I'm in my TikTok villain era. Yeah, that's right. Like, I, I'm, I'm done, like, with that word because it yeah. never... Amen. made me more insecure than anything. I so, am right there with you. I've actually been trying to, like, not smile less, but notice when I'm just, like, using the smile as, like... It's just my defense mechanism. And it's very interesting. I feel it with my, like, I don't, I keep saying this. This is where I'm at. I feel it with my sexual identity, actually, like with not caring as much anymore. I mean, I am happily married um, to a cisgender heterosexual male. Um, But I'm also feeling like I developed more crushes on women lately. And I'm like, I kind of love that. And I, I don't know if I need to say I'm queer. I don't think I need to. But I'm like, I think I just love people and I love souls first. So yes, love is blind for Tara Angelina Tagliaferro. Um, you like the wine, not the label. And like, I think for me, like now, because I didn't have this exploration as someone who was single, um, I think for me now, I would, if I were single, I would just let connection spark and see what would happen. Because I think for me, I could never be intimate with anyone I don't know. Mm. Well, first, that's a lie, a little bit of lie, but I mean, I can, could have a, <laughs> she could. Okay. But like, I, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like that matters yes. to me. I believe that is, I'll look it up. I believe it's demisexual is you yes. need like an emotional connection. And this is where I'm going to be like an old ass millennial where I'm like, I don't need to have a title for it. Like I feel good. <laughs> in like I'm just going to be like, that's whatever. Your- that's everyone's prerogative. You get to yeah. choose if you label it or not and how you label it and how you share it. But I think if I were a 20 something, I'd be like, I'm queer. Like I would just own that. And like, I love that. that's like what I feel like there's language now for that didn't exist. Yeah. You know, or I didn't. But anywho, um, I, I love that. There's also a beautiful book dedication. Um, that we were talking about the introduction part is in there. And I was like, Oh my God. And if we ever wrote a book, this would be all of our pod squatters. Yeah, and be like, we messed up, not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys keep us honest. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
I also love he mentions my brother, Joseph McGuire, a few of whose ideas I have borrowed. Please don't sue me. He's like, no lawsuits happen in this family. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. We're good. I also want to mention this before the last little thing here. There's a few. Okay. The cover of this book instantly, though, makes me think of, we brought it up before, the true story of the three little pigs. Oh! Do you remember that book? It was a 1989 book. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Big Bad Wolf Has Been Framed. Yes. I always go back to that. I think that's the OG. That's the OG, like, kind of. Yeah, because it was was the first time that it was like, oh, wait. It's like realizing your teacher has a life outside of school. You're like, oh, wait, the wolf has a story as well. (laughs) I always think about that book. Yeah. Anything that Gregory Maguire has written. cool. It's not a Gregory Maguire book. Let me actually just quickly tell you. I did pull up a tab on this book, um, who that book is by. The The True Story of the Three Little Bigs. Pigs is a children's book by John, I can't even say his last name, Sheshka, I don't know what his last name is, and Lane Smith. <laughs> and it was written in 1989, and it's, um, it, you could still buy it. It's still in print. Um, cool. It's told um, through the point of view of Alexander T. Wolf, also known as the Big Bad Wolf. <laughs> Alexander T. Wolf, that's what it is. Which is very, very sweet. Okay, and then- that's really have- cool. We have, of course, we have a nice breakdown of the contents in this book. We have a map With the of cool little like illustrations on each one. Each yes. thing. They're so cool. Before the map and before the contents we get, we have three quotes. One is from A System of Magic by Daniel Defoe. The other is Ooh, from Mine's After. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Another is from War and Peace by sorry. And then we have, of course, a quote by L. Frank Baum from the wonderful wonderful Wizard of Oz. And the first quote is, "'Tis very strange men should be so fond of being thought wickeder than they are." And this is where I'm like, we want to be bitches. We want to be bad bitches. This is what I think. <laughs> Here We're is in our villain era. This is what I think of West in Emerald City and NBC's Emerald City. Like she says to Ozma when she gets power, like fear is what works. Fear leads, right? She says something along those lines. And I'm like, I think that's what this quote is saying, that like fear is a tactic, right? Yeah. So I love that and quote. also the word fond, like should be so fond of it. <sighs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. it's. I mean, it's when you pull quotes, I'm like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? I was the least connected to the Tolt. So I co- quote, yeah. out of all these, um, in historical events, great men, so-called, are but the labels that serve to give a name to an event. It's just basically saying history repeats itself at the end of the day. Um, and like labels, they have the last possible connection with the event itself, which is very interesting because it's not their whole life. Um, every action of theirs that seems to be them of an act of their own free will is in historical sense not free at all, but in bondage to the whole course of previous history and predestined from all eternity. I mean, it's so oh, deep. I can't even. I need it. to study. Yeah, that's hard. But I get it. I get what he's basically saying is like, there are events that will like publicly define your life, but like in the grand scheme matter, not that much. Um, But also like, yeah, we repeat ourselves consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to read the Wizard of Oz quote that he chose to fall? Yeah. Okay. Well, said the head, I will give you my answer. You have no right to expect me to send you back to Kansas unless you do something for me in return. In this country, everyone must pay for everything he gets. If you wish me to use my magic power to send you home again, you must do something for me first. Help me and I will help you. It's a lie. What must I do? It's a lie, Diana Ross. What must I do? Asked the girl. 
kill the wicked witch of the West, answered Oz. He doesn't even explain why. And I think that's the whole point of that. Do it. Transactional nature of Oz in that moment. Interesting. In this country, everyone must pay for everything he gets. That stands out to me. Yeah, these quotes are amazing. And then we have this really cool map. So this might be in a different order. I love the map. The map, I put it up next to like a regular, like first map of Oz. He basically just deepens it. And he also puts it back to its correct compass because some of the Oz maps. But he also has some things that I've never heard of. He's invented some places. Um, But my favorite thing is that he has Oogaboo, but he spells it differently, which uh, he spells it. It's usually spelled like O-O-G-A-B-O. O-O, and it's spelled U-G-A-B-O. And it says disputed claims, which I love because Ugaboo is a very fascinating... Disputed um, claims. Fascinating part of the Oz geography. Let me just remind yeah. you about Ugaboo in case you were like, wait, what's Ugaboo? Um, so it's one of the smallest and poorest kingdoms in all of the land of Oz. It is ruled by Queen Anne, so forth, from TikTok. Love her. <laughs> She's crazy. Located in a valley among mountains in the far northwestern corner of the Winky Country, it's ruled by its own royal family, not always harmoniously. Um, so that there's a lot of like history and TikTok of Oz with this place, but it is kind of like this like they're trying to do their own thing. It's almost like they're like a cult. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> they're trying to live a little bit differently or something. <laughs> um, this map is gorgeous. It's a cool map. There's things that struck me. I like that he like there's a key. At the bottom, like I lands are, I like the emerald mines. I feel like my I come from a family of coal miners, so it's like if I was an Aussian, mm. I would live in the Glicus, where the emerald mm-hmm. mines are. Um, based off like a lot of what I'm gathering is that like the different areas of Oz, like our traditional areas, Winky Country, Munchkin Land, Quadling Country, Gillikin, they have like different natural jobs that go with them that go with the land like there's farmland obviously in munchkin land there's a great gilligan railway so that probably is a big profession for gillikins is to be involved with the railroad um we've got the emerald mines like i said the forests um so there's probably more woodcutters in different areas it's pretty cool to kind of like go in that brain space to be like oh okay what would people do in this area just based off of the map yeah that's really cool it is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, it, this is a really special copy of the book. I really like how they break Oz down on the book jacket for this one. Like, they're saying, like, Oz, basically, like, how you, I boil down how they did this book jacket is, like, Oz might be your utopia friend you grew up with, Wizard of Oz, but Oz is not Alphabus utopia. Mm-hmm. We're going to show you. We're going to really- show is pretty cool and there's all these quotes on the back of my copy like Kristen Chenoweth is back here <laughs> Kristen. my favorite quote is from Holly Muir um and it doesn't give her anything like she doesn't have like a who she is like how the other people do yeah it's just her but I love it because she says long before there was any thought of a musical I read Wicked I felt a quiet joy that sisterhood had made its way to the yellow brick road I love that. Mm. What happens when a witch, green or otherwise, gets to tell her own story instead of being vilified and misrepresented by dominant cultural authority? We witches know how that turns out. We witches. I freaking love it. Because she's basically saying, like, witches' stories are often mistold. 
it's a very feminist. We have we have a male author of this book, which is very interesting. Again, there it is. I have three quick closing thoughts. Please. Does yours have a reader's group guide? Because mine does. Oh, mine does not. No, I don't okay, think. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll sprinkle these in as we go. Okay. Um, I also, second thought, I just love anything that is like the life and times of blank. And I love that, like, that's our little subtitle, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. It just makes it sound so like, ooh, we're getting into it. And then perhaps the most important thing of all, the quote on the front of mine, it's from John Updike in from The New Yorker. His quote is, quote, amazing novel, end quote. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. Oh, and he got kicked off. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too. I have so many more questions. Of course. For us, like, for us to consistently keep redefining and defining and exploring and being okay with like non-answers being answers, I guess. Um, Here we are, we're in Wicked. And I think this is going to be probably our most, I feel like we've had a little bit of a break from being politically invested. I think this is going to get us back to being. I do too. I know I'm already like, oh God, uh, we're going there, but it's good. It's, it's needed. Like Mombi's heads and Return to Oz weren't like inspiring me to like, you know, get out on the show. Take up your social activism. (laughs) But I feel like I'm going to be really like lit up in this book. We're lit up. Well, Elphaba is a very inspiring character. So we cannot wait to see you in the next episode where we're going to get into basically like the first, first kind of big chunk of Munchkinland. We're logging into Munchkinland. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, So thank you for joining. We will see you there with your labor pants. Ooh, yum. Can't wait. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Y'all. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. We love linking arms with listeners like you. Another special thank you to our Patreon Pod Squad members who have become our Belina soup for the soul you get it, and Oz family all across the globe, consider joining us for as low as $3 a month. Patreon linked in show notes. More tiers and perks coming soon. You can also find us over on IG at Down the Yellow Brick Pod and someday TikTok and dropping good trouble witch merch like it's hot on our Etsy shop. All links below. Shout out to our logo designer, Maddie Frank, for helping us make Oz nerddom fashion. We'd like to dedicate this season to the late, great co-host Drew of the neighboring podcast of Slippers and Spindles, whose fairy tale enthusiasm always inspired ours. Blessed to have connected on Oz and Wicket and to have known you, Drew. And lastly, if you are feeling the pod and haven't already, consider leaving us an Apple review. It truly makes our day. Each review also equals an entry into our big blowout end of the season giveaway. You won't want to miss this one, which will be completely swankified. As always, all previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We got you, boo. See you over the rainbow soon. In a clock tick. <laughs>